It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. This is the AC Report. Time for our weekly look at the most interesting 48 blocks in America. I've often been asked, including sometimes ridiculed, why does a nationally syndicated radio program spend so much time talking about a place that is relatively small in terms of area and where most people tend to think their best days are behind them. And if you don't live there and don't plan on going there, why would you ever really need to care about it? And I've struggled to come up with good answers to that question. But really, the answers that I keep coming back to is I don't ever think I've encountered a place that is so rich in history and is so rich in larger-than-life characters and yet is contained in such a small area. And I've often thought to myself, well, maybe one day I can write a book chronicling some of these larger-than-life characters and some of what makes the history of Atlantic City so interesting. And then I realized, one, I have no time, and two, I don't really have any experience writing or writing a book. And then luckily for me, I stumbled upon a book that has already been written, chronicling some of those larger-than-life figures and teaching me so much about Atlantic City's history. The book is called Boardwalk Playground, The Making, Unmaking, and the Remaking of Atlantic City. And it's uh, the story of how the people of a New Jersey resort built a seaside paradise, lost it, rebuilt a casino town, mostly lost it, and kept on dreaming. It's written by Dr. David G. Schwartz. He is a gaming historian, a faculty member at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and an author of several books, including Boardwalk Playground. Uh, David Schwartz, thank you so much for joining me on the radio. Hey, thanks for having me. David, so just so people understand your background and where you're coming from, how does one become a gaming historian? I don't imagine on career day in kindergarten when people were saying, I want to be a firefighter, I want to be an astronaut, that the teacher got to you and you said gaming historian. So how did you become a gaming historian? 
Well, I think growing up in Atlantic City had a lot to do with that. You know, um, when I was a kid is when they first started building casinos there. So some of my earliest memories were the implosions of the old hotels. And seeing them replaced with casinos made me think, wow, these casinos as gambling must be this really powerful force. And when I went to graduate school for history, I thought, well, what, what better thing to study? So one of the questions that I hate, and I've spent a little bit of time in Las Vegas, certainly nowhere near the amount of time that I've spent in Las Vegas, in uh, Atlantic City. But one of the questions that I hate that I get all the time is one that I'm basically going to give you now, which is how you compare Las Vegas to Atlantic City. And really, they're so different in so many different respects. Aside from the fact that they both had casino gambling for a long time, I think there's very little comparison at all. That being said, as someone that studied, looked into, and lived in both Atlantic City and in Nevada, and we're on right now in the Nevada Talk Radio Network. Big shout out to uh, all our friends listening out there. Tell me how you view the differences between those two gambling meccas, Las Vegas and Atlantic City. You have one portion of the book where you set, you compared the Vegas that you came to and compared it to the Atlantic City you left. Make that comparison for our listeners. Well, I mean, they've got one similarity that a lot of people don't think of, which is that they were both actually founded by railroad companies. So I, I find that interesting. And their genesis, about 50 years apart, Atlantic City was about 50 years before Vegas. But it's really cool. But, you know, I think what really does tie them together, of course, is the tourism, the hospitality and all that. And I think they're both places where people have come to reinvent themselves. In terms of gambling competition, it's no secret that that's something that has hurt uh, New Jersey a great deal. You can go to Pennsylvania and gamble. You can go to New York and gamble. You can go really anywhere. We have a lot of listeners in Maryland that love to uh, gamble in the casinos down in Baltimore. Has Nevada also suffered from the increased competition from the all the new places that you can gamble these days? You know, some parts of Nevada have. If you look at places like Prim. If you look at Reno, if you look at Tahoe, they've definitely taken a big hit, mostly from the tribal casinos in California. But Las Vegas itself has really expanded since you had casinos coming online in a lot of states around the country, because I think they've given people the reason to fly past all those other casinos to come to Las Vegas and do things like the nightlife, the Mm. dining, the shopping, all that stuff, and now professional sports. Uh, let me let me talk to you about the book Boardwalk Playground, the making, unmaking and remaking of Atlantic City. It's a great book. It's written with a lot of humor. It's an easy read. There's some fun pictures in it, but it's also incredibly rich with history and information that was totally new to me. And this was a subject that I thought I knew pretty well. What prompted you to write this book, Boardwalk Playground? Well, again, I think it's growing up in Atlantic City. And there's not a lot of stuff written about Atlantic City. I also wrote a lot of these chapters originally as columns for Casino Connection magazine, which was a magazine for a while. They distributed it to the casino employees all across the city. So I had a lot of the stories already. I said, you know, I think this would make a good book. And I expanded it into the book. Tell me about and tell the listeners about the founding of Atlantic City. I I think a lot of people might be surprised to know that uh, Dr. Pitney, the founder of Atlantic City, actually had in mind not a gambling mecca, but a health resort. Uh, Tell folks about how Atlantic City got started. Yeah, it's just fascinating. Again, it shows you how much different the world was back then. You know, we're talking 
the 1850s. And the idea was the big cities were growing, the major cities were growing. This is all across America, but especially in the Northeast, the urban Northeast. And Atlantic City, which had the sea air, was viewed as being healthier. And the idea was this would be an upscale health resort for very wealthy people. And that kind of didn't really take off. It wasn't until they said, wait a second, if we sell people from Philly train tickets really cheaply, they can come down here too. So it's really a couple decades later, it got the second wind as a mass market resort for everybody. And I think that's one of the great parts about the city is that people from all walks of life could come there and find something to do, whether they're the very, very wealthy people or people who just wanted to come down and spend the day at the beach. You and, know, there was something for everyone. And what was the time frame around Atlantic City's founding? Uh, 1850s, 1870s is when it really started to develop more, though. And by the turn of the century, it was very well established, you know, both as a resort, but also as a convention destination. There was a lot of conventions coming to Atlantic City. The um, the story of Atlantic City is inseparable from the story of boardwalks. Uh, boardwalks are now found all over the world, and yet uh, there is still no boardwalk anywhere that's as long as the boardwalk in Atlantic City. A lot of people might be surprised to learn it was the first boardwalk in America or the world, really. Why did mm-hmm. that boardwalk come to be? What was the point? How did someone decide to put up a boardwalk? I love it. And what I love about it is one of the people behind it was named Alexander Boardman. So it's almost <laughs> like he was destined to do this. But here's, here's what would happen. So you have these nice hotels. The guests would want to go walk on the beach. So they'd walk on the beach and they'd track the sand back into the hotel. And after a while, the hotel owners started getting all the tire having to clean well, having their custodians clean. So they said, wait, what if there was a way they could walk by the beach but not walk on the beach? And some of them, including Mr. Boardman, came up with the idea, well, what if we put down planks? And the first – there's been four four different boardwalks, you know, as they've been demolished and rebuilt. But the first boardwalk was basically removable. They put it down at the end of the season. They took it back up, and they put it back down the next spring. But that was a general idea, and eventually they figured out, wait a second, while they're walking, what if – they might want to buy some stuff. So that's how the commercial parts of the boardwalk really grew. And what made other cities emulate that? Not wanting to get the sand in their properties? Or was it just trying to want to capitalize on how successful Atlantic City was with the boardwalk-style businesses? I think they figured out that having some kind of promenade down by the by the beach made a lot of sense. And it's kind of funny. I will say one thing I was disappointed about when I moved out to L.A., I'm like, oh, you know, Venice Beach, the Santa Monica Boardwalk, all this. I get down there, I'm like, this isn't a boardwalk, it's concrete. There's no boards. <laughs> oh, no, this is the boardwalk. That doesn't look like a boardwalk to me. It's just a sidewalk by the beach. So it's kind of funny how people have uh, evolved the idea of the boardwalk. One of the things I loved your book is it really does tell the story of how many times Atlantic City has been born and reborn and had to reconstitute itself depending on the circumstances and what was happening in American history at that time. One aspect of Atlantic City's history, which is pretty important that I have to confess I don't think I was even aware of, was a big fire at the start of the 20th 
20th century. Tell me about uh, the uh, fire in the early 1900s. What happened? Why was that such a big deal? And how did that change the course of Atlantic City? Yeah, I mean, there was there was a several fires, but this one was especially devastating. And basically, it brought a huge focus on having fireproof buildings and really re- rebuilding a lot of the city so it wasn't so susceptible to fire. But, you know, fire has been one of the things. It's kind of ironic for a town on an island. You figure surrounded by water, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't be such a concern. Sure. But yeah, fire has always been a big deal, but that one was especially bad. And what happened? Do they know the cause of what occurred? And how how did that change the course of Atlantic City's development? I mean, it is kind of, you know, there's always conjecture, but it did make them start paying more attention to fire safety, uh, developing a fire department, and really putting things in a more serious and professional level. The um, the way Atlantic City was synonymous for the last better part of a half century with, with casinos, that was once the case with nightclubs in Atlantic City. Uh, what were some of the big clubs in Atlantic City's day and what made Atlantic City such a nightclub destination? Well, I think it was the fact you had people coming down with some money to spend. And you also had the fact that it had was pretty close to New York. So a lot of those acts could come down here. And one of the things that I learned research in the book was they actually had, you know, for many years, a lot of the Broadway shows would start in Atlantic City. And if they went over Hmm. Atlantic City, they would then go up to Broadway. So you really had this interplay with New York and Philadelphia to another extent. Um, But, of course, you had Club Harlem, which was a big one, and the 500 Club, which is absolutely legendary. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with David G. Schwartz. His book is Boardwalk Playground, The Making, Unmaking, and Remaking of Atlantic City. Believe it or not, uh, you don't necessarily think of Atlantic City in the same thought as major international conflicts. But World War I and World War II both had a pretty big effect on Atlantic City. And Atlantic City played a, a pretty pretty pivotal role in both conflicts. What was Atlantic City's connection to both World War I and World War II? World War I, they definitely had soldiers who came and um, across the street from the old high school, which is where I went to high school, they had the monument to World War One. It's kind of funny, when I was a kid, it was the, there was a traffic circle there, and when you were learning to drive, that was sort of the trial by fire. It's like, can you handle driving mm-hmm. around the monument? You know, that was, I, I remember that. World War II was even... I think a bigger impact, they converted a lot of the hotels and the hospitals and the rehabilitation hospitals for the injured soldiers. And you also had blackouts. So there was a blackout all across the island. And, you know, growing up, people I I knew were around then. So that was still in uh, kind of the public memory there in the 80s uh, when I was growing up. So and that was that was a really big impact. And it was one of these times that the city really was on the national stage. The 1970s, legalized gambling. I know this was something that the people in Atlantic City had fought for for a while. It was not as if this was unanimously accepted. They had had a vote on legalized gambling and it was defeated. And then a couple of years later, they have another vote and it is approved. What were some of the key arguments on both sides of that issue? Because I think now we're seeing some of those same arguments played out in other places that are considering legalized gambling. And uh, how would you say legalized gaming has affected Atlantic City over the course of the last half century? Well, that could be a whole book there. Yeah, I can I'll imagine. Try to condense it. Um, well, I mean, the arguments against were it's 
maybe morally dubious, and also it's going to attract the mafia. And I think it's kind of funny how people are arguing, you know, well, if we legalize casinos in Atlantic City, the mob is going to come to New Jersey. It's like, oh, come on, really? They're not already here? <laughs> so that was kind of funny. And it's it's so, you know, uh, when Brendan Burr made the speech and says, like, keep your dirty hands off of New Jersey, mob, it's like, oh, really? They, they were already there. They would never come, right. Yeah, they would never come to New Jersey if, if they hadn't legalized casinos. <laughs> um, it wasn't Dutch Schultz shot up in North Jersey. I think he was. So, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. For a while. yeah. So um, the arguments for were basically, look, let's let Atlantic City help itself. Even if you folks up north don't like casinos and don't want casinos in your backyard, if those people down Atlantic City want to take a chance in it, why don't you let them? Um, also, they use some of the funding, of course, for the Casino Redevelopment Agency and also for prescription benefits for seniors. So it was kind of, let's give everybody something to get excited about this for. And how has it worked out uh, based on the promises that were made to residents and to senior citizens in the 70s? Have those uh, promises come to fruition from your perspective? I think to an extent they have. You know, definitely it caused a lot of development. I don't think you would have seen anything like the amount of capital that they poured into Atlantic City, you know, mostly in the 80s if you hadn't have legalized casinos. So definitely that helped. I think the problem was where Las Vegas really continued to evolve past the focus just in the gambling. Atlantic City casinos really, for the most part, although some of them did, didn't do that just because it was so lucrative. There was so much money to be made just with quarter slot machines. Why bother adding all these other amenities like volcanoes and white tigers and all that kind of stuff when you could make so much money just with the quarter slots? And then when other places opened up where you could play quarter slots, penny slots, anything, people were like, well, why do I want to drive all down there? You know, pay pay tolls, pay to park. Mm. Why bother? Um. Tell me about Atlantic City today. Uh, as far as as you can tell, having grown up there and then having written this book chronicling a hu- couple hundred years of history, how would you say it's doing and would you describe its future as bright? You know, I think the future is bright just because of the way the city's always reinvented itself. I was just there last week, so I got to see a lot. Um, you know, a lot of the landmarks I grew up knowing aren't there anymore, but that's kind of the nature of history and time. And I guess when you get old, that's what happens. You know, that stuff goes away. But it's really exciting to see a lot of stuff that's happening there. You know, Stockton University has a campus there that's really vibrant, that, you know, there was nothing like that when I was a kid. So I think there really are a lot of really exciting developments going on. And um, you alluded to things that aren't there anymore. I was talking to my wife about your book and how much I enjoyed it last night. And I said, what would you ask, David, if you were talking to him? And she said, well, ask him what's not there anymore that he really misses. And I thought that was a good question. If you pick something either from your own history or from the history of Atlantic City itself that's no longer there, what would it be? Well, it's kind of funny. So uh, I went for a run on the boardwalk, so I'm running down the boards, you know, starting at the 4800 and going all the way down. And it's like, okay, run past Albany Avenue. Well, that's where my high school used to be. That's not there anymore. <laughs> Walk past where uh, Golden Nugget, then Bally's Grand, then the Grand, then Atlantic Club. Well, that's where that's one of my first jobs was in there, run past Tropicana. Well, that's where I was Mr. Peanut, but that's Chickies <laughs> and Pete's now. 
um, run, run fast. Oh, that's gone. Run fast. Well, one of the places where I used to work. Well, that's a different. That's got a different name now. So <laughs> there's definitely a lot of it there. There's a lot of stuff not there anymore. In terms of the kind of the subtext of your book, when you say how the people of a New Jersey resort built a seaside paradise, lost it, rebuilt a casino town, mostly lost it, and kept on dreaming. What do you mean when you say mostly lost it? How did they mostly lose it? Well, I think it's the fact that you had such an emphasis on gambling. They lost the gambling monopoly, you know, around 20, kind of 2008 recession time. But even before the recession, the gaming revenues really crater. They fall in half, just about in half. And so it's pretty devastating. A bunch of the casinos close. And I published this in 2015. So they weren't quite, you know, they're still really feeling that. And I feel like for me, at least, that was a real kind of crisis of faith there because when i grew up again like some of my earliest memories you have these old hotels getting blown up these big casinos being built and there's just a lot of faith like they yes this is going to be our ticket to prosperity and then when that's questioned i think it makes you question a lot of the things you think you know in terms of the atlantic city characters that i alluded to either throughout the history of atlantic city or even people that are still out there now who are some of your favorites Oh, man, there's so many. And a lot of them were just people that I knew. I mean, they really were characters in the best best sense of the word. You know, I think you've got folks like Skinny D'Amato, who owned the 500 Club, who put together Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. He paired them for the first time. And, I mean, that was such an iconic duo. You know, you could say that had a huge impact on entertainment all, all around the world because Jerry Lewis was so popular in France. So I think it's folks like that that really make the city unique in so many ways anybody out there now that you think of as a character in the best traditions of the atlantic city experience um yeah i mean they're they're more private people so i won't uh put their name out there but yeah i mean it's just uh a lot of really interesting folks it, it can, in your view, can Atlantic City, You, because you do a great job chronicling Atlantic City as a vacation resort, as a nightclub hub, as a place where people would vacation from all over the, the country, especially on the East Coast, take train rides from Philadelphia in New York. Can Atlantic City ever be that sort of East Coast vacation destination again in the future? And if you were to give advice in terms of how it can get there, what would you say? I think it has to evolve a lot. I think one thing that you could do is if you look at the city just geographically, it is beautiful. You've got waterfront land there that's just lying vacant, which is amazing to me. It's like, okay, if this is in San Diego... (laughs) There'd be like millions of dollars right. of development in here. So, like, maybe one thing is okay, what if they figured out a way to try to lure people to live there with remote work? Where, like, okay, you don't want to pay rent in Manhattan or Center City, Philadelphia. Well, what if you could do your job from here and then maybe commute in once or twice a week? It seems like if they had a tax structure that was favorable to that, that could lure a lot of people because it's such a beautiful area to live. So, I think part of it is focusing on what makes it different. You know, and you're not going to compete with Vegas by being Las Vegas, but you can have some of that, you know, some of those amenities, but just do it in a way that draws on the uniqueness of Atlantic City, which is 
the beach. I think that's what it comes down to. At one point in the book, you reference, I think it's actually pretty early on, that you, there's all these lessons that people in Atlantic City have always tried to learn from Vegas, but maybe mm-hmm. there's some things that Vegas can actually learn from Atlantic City. Well, fill folks in. Uh, we have listeners both in Nevada and in New Jersey right yeah. now wondering what you mean by that. What can Vegas learn from Atlantic City? Well, I think Las Vegas has always been really good at inviting people to come and build so, like, for example, the latest, you know, of course, going back to the 40s and 50s, it was casino people coming even with the 60s. And they did some great things. You know, in the past decade or so, it's been sports. So we have a football team, a hockey team that's doing pretty well. Um, and now F1 racing, you know, Formula One racing is the next big thing. But there's not really a sense of the city having its own identity in the way that Atlantic City does mm. have a real strong identity. So it'd be nice to see the city develop that identity a little bit, you know, um, which is, has its pros and cons. I think it's, they're definitely more open to people coming in and, and trying things, you know? So I think Atlantic city can learn a little bit about that and like, Hey, let's be entrepreneurial and let's encourage the people to be entrepreneurial and try things and really support them to try to help the city grow. My last question is always my most controversial. If you absolutely had to pick your favorite restaurant, any type of cuisine within Atlantic City, what is it? Oh, uh, Tony's Baltimore Grill. Tony's Baltimore Grill. And is it for the pizza or do you get something else there? It's for the pizza, but also for the ambiance. And I just love the wood paneling and the little jukebox things and i feel like it hasn't hasn't changed that's one place i feel hasn't changed so much since i was a kid so yeah it's probably if it's not tony's then probably white house subs but uh, you can't go wrong with either of those yeah. david g schwartz yeah. uh, i thank you for the time i hope people check out the book boardwalk playground the making unmaking and remaking of atlantic city i hope we talk again Yeah, likewise. Thanks so much. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight.